This is T, and you're listening to The Creative Kickback, a show about creative people from Richmond and beyond. Today we are here with Dr. the doctor, the Dr. Tressie McMillan Cottom, PhD. Are there any other like letters behind the name? That's it. That's all I got. Okay. Who is a sociologist at VCU here yep. in Richmond, Virginia, mm-hmm. who is a well-known author, but she is also about to release her second book, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this one is my- memoir or? Yeah. You know, we never did come down to, I'm getting this question a lot. We never came down on the side of whether we, what we thought the genre of this book was. Mm-hmm. It is a combination of, yeah, I think memoir, essay is the form. Okay. And and because, you know, by virtue of who and what I am, there's a, a healthy dose of like sociology or at least sociological thinking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know what it is. Memoir. Memoir. <laughs> not a proper memoir because my mother's still alive. And I tell people, I'm not writing a memoir as long as Vivian is here. That's fair. Thank you, right? Does Vivian make an appearance in the book? I'm Vivian assuming? always makes an appearance. Okay. Can't tell my story without at least referencing her once. That's real. And the name of the book is Thick. Yep. Tell us about how you came to that name. And Mm -hmm. I assume about who it's for, but tell Mm -hmm. me who you wrote this book for. The book is written, you know, when I sit down and write, I actually don't have an imagined audience because if I do, it makes writing too hard. So Mm -hmm. like when I'm in the process of writing, I don't imagine a reader at all. When I'm editing, however, it always becomes clear to me that I was clearly writing to someone. And in editing, it was clear I was talking to black women. Mm -hmm. Um, And I made it, there's a point in the editing where you have this moment where you've got to decide how much of things you're going to explain. And I definitely chose in many ways to go, okay, you know, I'm not explaining that. Like I have a reference, like, you know, like the edge control. I'm like, sisters don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I don't care if anybody else does. Got right. It. And if they want it, just like everybody else has to do, they'll Google and they'll be fine. And so it was clear to me that, yes, I was talking to and about and around black women. The title, you know, this was not the title almost all through through the working part of the process. What was the what was the original kind of imagining? If of the I remember correctly, we pitched it as, oh, my gosh, what was it? It was something like uh it's going to come to me before we're done today. But it was something like, you know, seen unseen. It was something like, um, oh, no, it was Show My Work. That mm. was Show My Work was the working title. I wrote the what is now the title essay towards the end of the process, mm-hmm. right? There was, you know, we definitely wanted to open the book and I hadn't written that yet. And I'm writing it. And I don't know. I remember writing what is in the first paragraph where that word comes up. And I thought, oh, well, yeah, that's it. And I send it to my editor, um, Tara, who was an amazing, you know, just God bless her. There's a black woman editor. I mean, my God, the difference that makes in my life Mm -hmm. is just I can't I can't overstate it. (laughs) So I send it to her and she was like, yeah, no, that's that's the title of the book. I mean, it happened instantly. She reads the title essay. She gets a paragraph in. I was like, oh, really? Because I still hadn't seen it that way. Mm -hmm. And she was like, no. Period, point blank. That's the title. Period, like City Girls. And it was period. Period. (laughs) And it was over. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how did that influence also like the cover design? So yeah, that changed everything. Like when we decided that was the title, it was like every piece that we had still kind of were unsure about Mm -hmm. everything clicked. And to be fair, that happened with the first, my first book too, but there was something about it finally had an identity Uh and listen, this cover, listen, they got a professional artist to do this cover. They sent that joint to me and Tara texted me and was like, I'm sending you a mock-up of the cover. Where are you? Oh, wow. I'm like, dang, what? Is-? I was like, so that means she's either scared about it or like, it's the... 
And I open it and I call, I mean, I gasped. I'm like, I'm finishing the book just to have that cover. Wow. Yeah. That's dope. Mm-hmm. Like, are there, I know that you have um, playlists for mm-hmm. your book, like that you set up so that folks yeah. can put together. Tell me about like what that process is like for you and why, for example, you chose a lot of Betty Wright and some yeah. other artists yeah. versus when I think of the word thick mm-hmm. or a thick black woman, right? Mm-hmm. I think of the way that, that she is often portrayed in a lot of hip hop and rap. Yep. So off the rip, when I knew your title was thick, I was like, oh, I could put together this Drake song and this yep. other song, yep. like uh, this whatever, like mm-hmm. future song. And like, yep. I have a lot of trap songs that I can mm-hmm. put together for that, but mm-hmm. I'm curious about why you chose not yeah. to go that route and why you chose for, for your mm-hmm. playlist something a little different. Yep. And I still think, so we've got artists who are like uh, guest playlist curating for mm-hmm. me. And that's definitely a thing going to make an appearance because everybody reads it. So what, the way I did it was if you were you know interested in willing, I sent you the book and I said, do whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't care about length, genre, do what rocks you. And I think that would probably still make an appearance when I made my playlist, though. Listen, uh, there's an epigraph at the start of every essay in this book, and many of them are drawn from lyrics and mm-hmm. drawn from pop culture. And it is, like, interpretations of thick and how we understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had been thinking about, like, pop culture and music and art a lot in, like, framing the essays. So I had that in mind when I sat down to do my playlist. And so I had all of the hip-hop. Like, I had all of it in front of me, mm-hmm. right? I, my research assistant is younger than me, and her whole job was to make sure I had the latest trap song <laughs> because I, of course, am not up on it like I'm supposed to be. I was like, look, if a new song come out that has a reference, you know, mm-hmm. you got to send it to me. But what I realized when I was um, doing my playlist was that part of what I was writing against Mm -hmm. was a narrow understanding of thickness. Mm -hmm. That if it was going to be what I think it is, which is a way of thinking about the world, which is a theory, which is a set of politics, which is more than just identity and certainly more than just the image of women as sold as this consumerist ideal, right? I wanted it to be more than that. And the idea of thickness, the more I thought about it and reflected on my life and the work that I was drawing on has always been present in Black women's work, Mm -hmm. right? So at some point, as we were finishing the book, I went to this Howardina Pendel uh, exhibit at the local museum. And what, Howardina's what, 60? 65 she's still working I mean she's still active but you know she's a you know a a later stage artist and here's this black woman I'm looking at like 30 40 years of her work Mm -hmm. and thickness and depth and nuance have been there through her work the entire body of work and every woman artist and thinker when I started thinking about it had this idea that there was something about being a black woman that had a depth and a dimension to it that to me is just what thickness is about. Mm -hmm. And so I actually didn't want to narrow it to, you know, trap pop culture understanding and especially didn't want to filter it through the eyes of men Mm -hmm. looking at us. Yes. Right. It was what is thickness when it's look when we see it through our own eyes, Mm -hmm. not through how others package us. That made me think more of it. I was like, yeah, no, if I think a thick to me was like, you know, the music my mama played on Saturday mornings when we were cleaning the house. Mm -hmm. It was the music, the first time I'd heard like a grown woman's voice that's why that's a lot of Betty Wright in that kind of era because that was you know hearing that grown woman voice Mm -hmm. figured very prominently when I started thinking about the music and the art and stuff that had shaped sort of my ideas of what it meant to be a black woman and then I was also keeping an eye on I didn't want a whole bunch of male voices in okay. that playlist telling us what it was. That's real. Right? I wanted whatever black women said it was. Or saying what they were getting out of it, but not putting into it. That's right. That's real. 
There's this one song that I really liked it, but which it's it's like thick, thick. Okay, I know what you're talking about. It's like we got the lyrics awful, for that one. It's the off. It's an awful yeah. song. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Make your knees touch your elbows. elbows. Yeah, yeah, I know that it's, one. It's awful, but I I was just like, oh, this like makes total sense. Uh-huh. But I would love for you to talk more about the theory behind thickness mm-hmm. and unpack that as much as you can without giving the whole book away. I mean, you yeah. couldn't possibly give the whole book away. I hope not. Yeah, so. So one of my starting points and what I hoped I was doing was, you know, we're in this moment where like expertise is having like a real struggle right now in our culture, right? Like we don't know what expertise is. We got this debate about what's real and what's true versus, mm-hmm. you know, fake and fake news and all this kind of stuff, right? Fake bodies. Fake bodies and all this conversation that's right about yeah. what technology and access to capital and stuff has done to us is that we, you know, we have blurred the lines between reality and fiction in a way that's just sending everybody a little mad. And one of the things that I was thinking about was um, what could black women's philosophy of life bring to our understanding of that, mm. right? So you've got all of these people who are, you know, what I call like the class of professionally smart people, mm-hmm. these people who are charged with telling us what is the proper discourse, who are out there defining. But when I look at that professional class of smart people, mm-hmm. I don't see the kind of black women philosophy uh, writ large anyway that has shaped my thinking of the world, right? We okay. definitely have definitely black women thinkers out there, but they aren't given the same space, right? True. And often when they're brought in, they're not brought in to sort of, you know, pontificate on like the larger issues. And what I understand as black women's philosophy is there is something in black women's liberation that is liberation for everybody. Yeah. Right. And so one of my thoughts was, what if the way we see the world, which is at this multi-layered black women almost always operating on multiple levels simultaneously, mm-hmm. that's our skill set. And we have to develop that skill set because of who we are. Mm-hmm. Right. By age 13, almost every young black girl I know has got that. Mm-hmm. We we can be talking to you at one level thinking on another level, emoting on a whole other mm-hmm. level. We're thinking about what just happened, what's happening right now, what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. We're already projecting. We are, and that's because of how much we have to do to defend ourselves, mm-hmm. right? But what it also develops in us is a capacity, I think, for really nuanced philosophical thinking. And that's the stuff that comes out when thick as a philosophy to me is that. Mm-hmm. What is it about Black women's approach to the world that can elucidate how the world works for people without losing what makes it work for us, right? And I really want to say, well, yeah, what would happen if we saw the world through that philosophy? You not only know Black women better, you know yourself better, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what sort of thick as a philosophy and as a theory is to me. So I'm curious about how you're going to explain that once you go, once the book is out in the world, and do you have any idea about how you think this might open things up for folks to see things through the philosophy of black women or through theory of thickness? Yeah. Or do you think it'll, because I think there have been points where folks have illuminated that, right? Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of, can't, has been popular in the past and it is kind of popular now. Like, oh, like we have to address the, the people who are most impacted by our policies or, uh, and usually the persons are black women. Yep or queer folks. Yep. I think there's an understanding that if we understand the world through those lenses, then things will open up. Do you, but do you think that that will actually happen? Mm, you know. Do you think your book can help, so, help make that a reality? I don't know if I'm making sense. Yeah, I know. It does. No, I'm, I think it, you, you make sense to me. I was, um, 
humility is knowing, and I always try, I always strive for humility in doing my intellectual work. Like when I'm thinking, you have to be humble. If you're not, you make egregious mistakes. And so- But how do you be humble when you also are very, how do you balance that humility with a razor sharp mind where you want to like just mm -hmm. go in and just be like, why why don't y'all understand this? We've been Uh, talking about this for like generations, right? Yeah. No, the the humility part is about me saying, black women have been saying this forever, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm like reading Paula Gidding stuff from like, I think like the 80s. You can go all the way back to like Ida B. Wells. Literally black women as long- as long as there has been a recorded history of us in the Western canon, especially, mm-hmm. have been saying essentially what I'm saying. Yeah. That you don't understand nothing if you don't understand us. That's mm-hmm. it. That's basically it. Yes. So that's the humility part. The part where I get crunk, though, is the part where <laughs> I go, <laughs> here's the way I know this mm-hmm. in this moment. Okay. And I can come to know this better than you ever can, and you're going to need to listen. Now, admittedly, both of those things reside in me. I am both extremely humble and extremely confident at the same time, which is what I think throws a lot of people off, especially Mm -hmm. we're not comfortable with black women's Mm. um, asserting our agency, Mm -hmm. right? And so it throws people off. But so the humility part of me says that surely I'm not about to do something that Ida B. Wells, Mm -hmm. Paula Giddings, Kimberly Crenshaw, and all these wonderful black women thinkers have never accomplished. Mm -hmm. How's it never? Having said that, Mm -hmm. I do think that you can have these moments, like you said, the thing about whiteness, which is white, not just white people, but you know, that system of patriarchal classism and capitalism, as well as race, the thing about it is that it has to have constant amnesia. Mm. It's always going to forget what it claims <gasps> to have learned. What you mean? Right? Wow. Ooh. <laughs> Wait, oh my God. That, right? Constant. <laughs> Right. Whiteness can never grow up. It is a eternal childhood ingenue, whatever. So will they forget? Absolutely. But they will know in this moment. Gotcha. And all I can ever hope for is that at some point, you know, I got this from um, a mentor of mine. At some point, you just want the historical record to show. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's where I kind of put my faith in, in the historical record. I can't know anything about what white folks are doing at any given time. So let's talk a little bit about, you talked about people's discomfort with black women's assertiveness, with yeah. their power, with their mm-hmm. like confidence. And I saw a conversation you were having on Twitter, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe last week with, I think it was Caitlin Greenridge, it may mm-hmm. have been someone else, uh-huh. but you all were talking about how people can't get in their minds like certain, like when they, when you show up as yourself yes. in certain spaces as an expert yep. or, yep, yep, yep. um, but yeah, so you all were talking about how when black women show up as themselves, right. p- people just can't conceptualize that. Yep. And I'm, I've seen how it shows up online for you. Yeah. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about that, both mm-hmm. online, because you're, let's face it, you're famous. She has all this these- This is me shaking my head. She, I, she yeah. has so many followers. Uh. She has Trevor Noah sliding in DMs. <laughs> Let the record show. I would like- I, I would like somebody to slide in my DMs that's not spam. First of all, I am almost certain that you have plenty of people sliding to your DMs. That's number one. I don't. Number two. See, number one. My DMs are dry. I do not believe that for a second. Super dry. Trevor's adorable. So I'm curious about how, yeah, like I've seen you not necessarily, I don't want to say SmackDown, but I've seen you just kind of like sidestep a lot of like online 
not mm. even vitriol, but just like stupidity. Yeah. How? Do, what's your approach to that? But then, what's your approach in real life when mm-hmm. when those things show up? Strangely enough, they're not that different. I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of what people are seeing online, the reason why I think it blows people's minds a lot, which I get uh, from time to time, is one, for non-Black people especially, have very little direct experience mm. of Black people. And if they have any direct experience, they have negligible experience of Black people being their superior in any way, gotcha. right? What if they know any black people, they at best know people who work for them, yes. right? Or who are friends of their children, but always an unequal power dynamic. Yeah. Very few people, for example, have worked for a black woman, have had to report to or mm-hmm. in some way justify themselves to a black woman as an expert or an authority. And that's what that's the first thing I think that blows their mind. And so what they're really seeing is just me owning the fact that my authority is exactly what I say it is. What, the reason, the only reason why that's blowing their mind is because it's coming from me, mm-hmm. right? And they just can't reconcile mm-hmm. that I get to choose who I'm in conversation with. They mm-hmm. think they should always have access to a black woman, mm-hmm. right? So they don't know how to stay out of grown folks' business. There you go, okay. right? Okay. Yeah, and they think they should have this sort of constant um, access to and dominion over, like, your emotions, mm-hmm. right? Whenever they want that emotional labor, they're supposed to be able to just tap us and have it on demand. Mm-hmm. And I am, for many people, I think the first time they've ever seen a black woman go, no. And that, <laughs> you know, it is actually not I'm that radical. <laughs> I'm good, love, and joy. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm, That's a, so interesting. I'm straight. Like, I actually don't need to debate with you because you're not interesting. Mm-hmm. And they just, what? Yes, no, seriously. And the fact that they don't have black people in their lives who can be that kind of honest with them is just about how, like, you know, racial segregation and the segregation of our, especially our internal and intimate lives, mm-hmm. how deeply racially seg- segregated it still is. But in real world, to the extent that my social position allows me to do it, I'm almost the exact same way. I mean, if I can get away with it, I do it. I go, no, we're not having that conversation or I am willing to do this and not that. Like boundaries have been a really good skill set for me to Mm. develop. And really that came from watching other really badass black women. Mm, like like I, I watched one of the first times I have a very good friend. Her name is, she's a public health scholar and researcher. Um, her name is Melissa. I've watched Melissa just have some of the most elegant boundaries and boundary setting I'd ever seen in my life. She was one of the first people I ever saw. Someone said something to her at once at dinner and you can tell they were just trying to be overly familiar oh, in that way that people, yeah. I cannot stand it. Melissa just very calmly said, yes, I know. Thank you. I like that about myself. And then moved on. (laughs) And I was like, that is dope. And I just watched her do that Mm. in all these ways. And then I sometimes like tour and do events with Roxanne Gay. Okay. And I watch Roxanne set boundaries. I mean, you talk about people violating her whole space. It is the most stunning thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It's just a line of people line up to come emotionally vomit on her. They come up to her, they hand her a book like a book sign or something and go, yeah, and just so you know, I was raped 18 times Jeez. and lost a baby. And then this happened da, 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 and hi. And I'm like, st- I'm like sitting there shaking. Yeah. And Roxanne, I watched her, you know, and they bring these personal items for her because she writes so much about trauma yeah. that people lead with their trauma with her. Mm-hmm. And I watched her say to someone, um, the first time I saw her do it, someone wanted to give her a journal or something she'd been keeping for her, a fan kind of item. Roxanne said, thank you so much for this, but I think you should keep that, Mm. right? You should give it to someone who's going to value the spirit in which you're giving it. And I'm not here to accept it today. 
And the woman tried again and tried and three times in a row. Wow. It was like a biblical story. You know, she did it three <laughs> times. And I turned to her after she left. I was like, that is the most amazing thing I have ever seen. Mm. And she's like, yeah, no, I've learned. And so I picked those up from, that's why I think it's important also to be surrounded by other dope chicks, right? I pick mm-hmm. up things from them and learning to do that in my own life is like been phenomenal. And I'm still learning for the record. Like mm-hmm. I almost hate to tell people this, but I'm, I'm still getting good at it. Mm-hmm. If they think this is bad, wait yeah. until I really think I'm good at boundary setting. People are going to be spinning out. How do you build your circle? Like particularly of black women or mm-hmm. women of color, how do you build out those folks mm-hmm. either before, yeah. you know, like before you became Tressy, like as the public knows you, mm-hmm. and then now as Dr. Tressie, internet god, <laughs> black woman, theorist, <laughs> professor. Um, well, I mean, you know, some of this is, you know, just good fortune, but also hopefully developing the wisdom to recognize the good fortune of meeting good people. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't always good at that. That is another one of those skills. I don't know whether it came as a, you know, as a function of maturity or what. But one day you wake up and realize, maybe you wake up and you realize that the people around you are not invested in your success, mm. right? And I think especially a young woman's game, especially when you are so socialized to make everybody okay, mm-hmm. right? To be nice, make sure everybody's okay. Well, actually, you know, sometimes you can be doing that more for others than they are willing to do for you. And you yeah. can kind of wake up one day. I, th- I find that people is somewhere around 30. Mm-hmm. You wake up one day and you're like, wait, <laughs> hold up, right? So that starts to happen. And then the other thing is like, as you become, you know, the weird thing about success is how much it changes how people interact with you. And it is so bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I don't even have like big success capital. I can't imagine what it's like for like actual like celebrities or something, but people do become very odd. How do people get funny acting? How do they? Um, I mean, you know, so it's the small stuff, which this, you know, this you just kind of have to take a stride. My, my, my friends like to remind me, Tressa, you can't have it all. You can't both be successful and not have haters, and which is true. Okay, so that's fair. So I'm trying to be realistic. So, uh, <laughs> These days, but you know, it's the small interpersonal petty stuff. It's people saying, um, you know, when you meet them, I'll go hi because I don't assume anybody, you know, mm-hmm. it's not that kind of fame, right? So I'll go hi, I will introduce myself like mm-hmm. a normal, reasonable person, mm-hmm. and this is what I get back mm, I know you. Ooh. Oh, I, exactly. I'm like, oh, 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 Beyonce, they say that Beyonce has had to do that too. Well, she'll be like, hi, my name is Beyonce. And it's like everybody knows you're Beyonce. But it's a, it's like there's no other social convention to say hi. I know, but people don't know. Like now you're like a famous, famous person. No, 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 no. And but so, you know, that little petty stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you have professional status sort of games and that just comes with the, you know, this is a competitive job. So it's, you know, a lot of that. But um, and does the does the interesting interpersonal stuff happen here in Richmond more so or like when you're out Mm. traveling or both I will say though I get it less in Richmond okay it's actually one of the reasons why I like I think part of like not living in a New York Mm -hmm. or in Atlanta where there's that's just so much more part of the culture of Mm -hmm. the place is that because there is not like you know a huge I'm not competing with anyone here in Richmond Mm -hmm. not in a real direct way Mm -hmm. right when I'm on the road though I'm in New York or DC Mm -hmm. um in Atlanta especially New York New York is always fun um uh, Chicago is really my nemesis that's because I have lots of enemies in Chicago that's always fun but (laughs) um (laughs) but you know I get it in those larger markets and I think it is because you are just seen more as a direct Mm. competition of how people see their own careers Careers, especially like writer, thinker type people. Got it. 
Um, and it's just less of them. So it's actually kind of nice for me here. Like on a daily basis, mm-hmm. I can move around with a lot less of that. Got it. I got to put on like my uniform when I go out mm-hmm. on the road though. How do you, what's, what's your, you know, what's your armor of God? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your breastplate? What's your. Yeah. I Listen, I got to <laughs> have on my, I got to have on my, first of all, my hair has to be right. Okay. If my bangs are right, almost <laughs> everything else is going to be okay. Okay. So. Swoop. Yes, I, exactly. If Got I'm sw- I'm okay. My mother would want me to say lipstick, but it's my bangs, man. If my bangs are right, yeah. And if my shoes are right, if my okay. bangs and my shoes are right, that's real. I can stand. I'm gonna stand toe to toe with anybody while I'm out there, and that's kind of my uniform. Like mm-hmm. I have my, I do. I put a lot of thought actually, like into the shoes I'm gonna pack for try. Like that's I got funny. my tour shoes. Who is your shoe? What's like your shoe brand that you like run to? Ooh, now that's a great question. Um always does right by me like I'm a like I'm like a high heel booty kind of girl that's like oh I know it's not Isaac it's the other one and it's gonna come to me here in a second because that's that's actually the pair I just bought for the tour this go round Sam Edelman uh, mm mm-mm no, I do like Edelman's, but but mostly though for a dress shoe I like Mm -hmm. Edelman's more for a dress shoe Uh the boot is the guy White dude, I know it's narrowing it down. <laughs> it's narrowing it down so much, I, and I know it's not Isaac, but it must be, it must begin with a vowel. Like that's Stuart Whiteman. Thank you. Yeah, Thank Beyonce you. wears those too. Okay, Beyonce. Shut up, shut up. But they make a mean Beyonce booty. A memoir. They make a mean booty. That's why Beyonce. And if I got my booties on. You're good to go. It helps. Okay. Talk to me more about like, I mean, I know that we shouldn't talk to women about fashion, but I think fashion is really important uh-huh. how we operate. Yeah. In the world how also. you navigate this world. And for black yeah. women. Exactly. Even more so. So yep. I'm curious about, I feel like every time I see you, you're always fly. You got on like a jumpsuit. You this have on a cute outfit. This is not true. This is very true. I feel like every time I see you, you got something interesting going on. So tell me about how you use clothes mm. to like, just to communicate to the world and how mm. you yeah, particularly as a black woman, because I yeah. think we have our own our own challenges with our mm-hmm. body, how our bodies are perceived yep. in certain clothes. So yep. I'm curious about how you oh, navigate. Oh gosh, that. yeah, that's been a thing my whole life. I actually do talk about that in the book, right? Like it, it doesn't matter what I wear; my body is the transgression, mm-hmm. right? And so, I mean, by age ten, right, I've got white women telling me my boobs are too big, mm-hmm. right? Teachers, right, mm-hmm. like authority figures, like grown women, mm-hmm. right? That's just a theme, and that actually has happened. I mean, until even very recently, it's only because now I have so much sort of like professional status mm-hmm. that I can kind of, you know, that I think I get it less. But um, I mean, I remember being like a grad student on the market and having a woman tell me I shouldn't. I mean, just, and I was like, I'm like covered from my neck to my knees. Yeah. It wasn't that. It's my body. Yeah. Right. Um, and especially when you operate and navigate white spaces, yeah. because white women are extremely competitive and vicious about black women's bodies and sexuality. They are vicious. And so our presentation of self for them, they take often as a personal direct attack. Right, being visible, being seen, um, can take that very personally. I get it slightly less so now, but no, it is always part of you know of me presenting myself as one of the things I like to take advantage of is that I can look like myself. Right. So when you are younger and maybe more junior professionally, I felt more of a need to blend in. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but I always felt like I was in a costume. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So that's like wearing the suit, you know, the thing that you have to do. Yeah. And I used to call it putting on my drag. Like yeah. I, that to me felt like putting on drag. That's real. Um, and they always fit terribly anyway. They, Cause they're not exactly. Yeah, it's always cut for somebody who's built like that is, is it's supposed to hang Yeah. and nothing hangs on me. Right. Yeah. So why even pretend, but you have to sort of do that performance. Yeah. And it's a way of putting white people at ease. They want to see you trying to perform it even if you're failing at it because it's one of the ways that black people signal that we'll play by the rules gotcha right and like one of the better things like especially like the last couple of years is that i don't have to do that anymore right i really can look like myself um and but i won't go out as anything other than myself anymore do you think this book might actually exponentially grow your presence i don't know i never have a a hope for i'm no it's and it is true um i was saying to you earlier you know these the moment before your book comes out this is what happens you you work on it you work on it you work on it Mm -hmm. right um then you ship it off you kind of forget about it for a while because it's with the editor you don't really see it Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden they send it back to you and you gotta fix you know you do all the fixing Mm -hmm. and that's like this manic process right so it's i'm up till five in the morning because it's all this detail oriented work Mm -hmm. um and you're on deadline because mm-hmm. you got to hit the deadline. It's not going to get the printer on time. And everything seems like now, 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 now. Mm-hmm. Then you send it off and everything stops because nobody needs me anymore. Mm-hmm. Right now it's with the typesetter and the designer and then pub. nobody needs me. I haven't heard from my editor and my press in like three months. Right. And so the book kind of recedes mm-hmm. in your mind. And then you wake up and it's starting to get close to the release. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like very quiet. Like mm-hmm. the, so like the, having the dreams for the book is weird because it's present now for other people but it's not present for, it was present for me four months ago when I was finishing it mm-hmm. then I'm like oh my god people are gonna read it and I always panic about that and mm-hmm. like um because what I'm a control you? freak and so I want to be standing there when people the read it yes I am the only oh. child yeah yeah so I'm a control freak I want to be standing there when people read it <laughs> and the idea that people are going to be reading it without me standing there to yeah. tell them what they need to know mm-hmm. and understand what is the thing that you think people might miss under or that you're most fearful they might misunderstand and what commercially yeah. what's the thing that you think they might be like yo mm-hmm. this is super dope or get right away i don't know that's actually one of the more interesting things for me to wait and see i mean because you don't know until people read it and mm-hmm. they start saying it. it is always i can say in my experience the thing that i think is going to resonate with people is never the thing interesting i will write this thing and be like i think i'll know the thing that's gonna set people off mm-hmm. right and no, it'll be this other thing that I took for granted was like, you know, that happens to me a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I apparently have no sense of audience <laughs> or taste making. Um, I'm actually very interested to see what it is. I, what I think it is, I've got more personal stories in this than is typical for me okay. to do. How hard was And that I suspect you? that'll resonate. Um, hard. I don't actually pretty, like... Yeah, you're pretty... Even though I know you in real life, mm-hmm. you are very like... Like you, you're good at kind of compartmentalizing and like ushering so. things, like a usher, to the side <laughs> that you're like not really trying to deal with. Oh, okay. Expertly. What? It's true. <laughs> I just I, I didn't know that, but but I, I'm thinking about it now as you say it, and I go, okay, yeah, I can see that. So I've I've heard I haven't read the book yet, mm-hmm. but I've heard that there's some deeply personal stories yeah. that you share, and I am based on what I know about you in real mm-hmm. life, I am surprised, but also. Yeah. Looking forward to reading more about your interior dressing. Yeah, that's what my, actually exactly what my editor kept saying, more interior. And I don't, so I'm much more comfortable talking about what I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Not what I have experienced or what I feel. Like, that's not my jam. And I think that's a different type of art and genre. And I love it, but Mm -hmm. it's not something I've ever said I I do. 
I think the reason why I was able to do it, this book is very much, I think, a product of how much I have grown to trust my editor. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have done it probably with anybody else. Nobody else, for example, could have pushed me. There were a couple times, you know, where I would send her the draft and she would push back and go, "Uh, no, you're not there yet. There's something you're not, you know, you, you're something you, Aren't you're copping me. out on, yeah. right? Or something. I don't even think it, she could have said it during our first project together. It's something yeah. about this, you know, we've worked together and I trust her. And I got to say, like, as a, this is the first time I've ever kind of had that sort of long-term creative relationship. And I'm actually surprised by how much I probably trust her more mm-hmm that almost anybody in sort of like my personal life, right? Like outside of my family or something or people I've known of a long time mm-hmm. and how unique that is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I probably took those risks because she pushed and she kept saying, and I kept saying to her, nobody cares, Sarah. I kept saying to her, nobody cares. And she was like, you just going to have to trust me on this. You're delusional. She would be like, you're delusional. That's so funny. Trust me. This is what people want from you right now, Tracy. And oh. I kept going... I don't think so. I'm actually still kind of saying to her, I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. It's an experiment because yeah. I don't know if people are going to be on that or not. But. but I think, I mean, to your earlier point, black women often operate on these multiple levels. Yeah. And to, we see like the high operating level, but to mm-hmm. see kind of some of that interior life and the things that actually yeah. happen, like, yes, you are a famous person. You are an intellectual. You are a professor. You're doing all these things and people know you for that. But mm-hmm. like, you're also a whole person who has lived as a black woman and have had experiences Mm -hmm. that we likely don't really talk about or Mm -hmm. kind of, I think as a black woman, you see stuff happen and people kind of just kind of like glamor it away or like kind of like turn a, turn a side eye to a lot of stuff. And so I think looking directly into things can be helpful. We'll see. You agree. You tend to agree with my editor. So we'll see who's right. We'll see. We'll come, we'll check back in with each other in a few weeks. Okay. That's Um, why I think though, I'm so, I'm so confused about what I think will resonate because I clearly had no, I clearly have no sense. If Tara's right, mm-hmm. I her clearly have no sense. Yeah. Can I meet her? She seems nice. Yeah, actually, you will meet her. She's uh, she comes out for the party. She'll be here. She's awesome. Yeah. I'll be like, hey, Tara, I heard that you said some of the same things, and I know uh-huh. sound, sound kind of similar. Actually, we'll yes, yeah. <laughs> and I will say that, and no, she's extremely cool and dope. Y'all actually hit it off quite a bit. Um, I mean, she and I hit it all. Again, how important. I just think that our relationship is just evidence of how important it is at such a white industry like publishing, mm. what that probably forecloses on for the things that get wow. written and produced. Because yeah. this book, I, I mean, I don't think it happens with any other person. Wow. What's your writing process like? Oh, um, Because this is not an academic book in the way that Laura right. Ed was. So right. I know that for that one, you probably had like all these reams mm. of research and yeah. like ways that you could break down that research. It's a lot more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's data in this too, but yeah. it's a different. It's not as of- systematic, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, what was your process with this? Yeah, that was. It was actually interesting. I think precisely for that reason, it was. Um, it took me a minute to hit my rhythm mm-hmm. because I couldn't start with like, yeah, I know how to produce the <laughs> thing based on the thing I've observed. Right, I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I, take all the stuff, I break it out into these pieces and I reconstruct it. Like I know how to do data and turn that into that thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I've been trained to do. Yeah, I've not actually been trained to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that, I didn't always know exactly how to start. Um, and then, you know, once I hit the stride and once I had got the rhythm, there, you know, there was the one essay. It was actually when I wrote, I wrote an essay uh, in the book. It's called um, In the Name of Beauty. And so, that's the one where the process came together. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Mm. So what does it look like? 
Um, you get in your cozy jammies and mm-hmm. get a cup of coffee. Yeah, so I have to be extremely physically comfortable when I write. Okay, so like luxury. I don't wear I don't wear a serious bra. I can't do <laughs> no. Wait, I have to have on a bra, but not a serious bra. It's a very particular yeah, yeah, you thing. Mean like a um, like a sports bra with no. That underwire. is correct. Okay, I have the same. Because yeah. if I feel a single thing, yeah, it's a wrap. But you also want to be feel slightly supported. That's right, yes, because understand. that's also uncomfortable. So like, there's a <laughs> sweet spot. So I have a collection of writing bras, if you must know, and I <laughs> like bras. yeah. And yeah. I've got a, it's kind of like the thing going out into the world. Like it's a uniform. Okay. And I got a collection of soft pants. It's a thing. So you get cozy. That is correct. Yeah. How do you organize, yeah. how do you physically organize the work? You say, this uh-huh. is what I'm going to write about. And you just like, bleh, spit mm-hmm. it out. Or do you have like, these are the points that I'm going to hit? Yeah, no, I very rarely have the points. I'm often, so my pre-writing, which is that, you know, putting together the argument thing mm-hmm. is very much still an internal process for me. And I've never, I, even in my, in my um, academic writing, I almost never drag. I mean, I never like outline. Okay. Right. So you're like a Jay Z in this respect. You know, gotcha. yeah, I, I hit the studio. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> I just, I just come in the studio. I don't write down my rhymes. No, I mean, so I don't. But I do have, I mean, I do have a very clear mental picture. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't have it. I just don't have it on paper. Got it. But I do. And so a lot of my writing process looks like me being a very difficult human being during that time. And it's because of that. Okay. My pre-writing is happening in my mind. Yeah. So what happens is people are trying to have conversations with me or something, mm-hmm. and I can't follow them. Because you're working something right. else. Right. Yeah. Else yeah. And yeah. so it's helpful to have people around you understand it. But a thing that I'm starting to understand is that not and not just with respect to writing but with respect to a lot of other types of production from what I've seen a lot of black folks in particular Mm -hmm. just because it doesn't happen on paper doesn't mean it's not happening it doesn't mean that we are not organizing our information that's right effectively it just means it's not happening in the way that Western folks understand in the Western it. world that's right. understand or thinks that it should happen. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. And it's because I think precisely because that thing again about the capacity, the thing that like I think oppression and marginalization and sort of struggle, the struggle, frankly, does is mm-hmm. that I think it creates in us a capacity to operate on multiple levels in a way that organizing our information doesn't take this externalizing. Because frankly, in many ways, sometimes depending on how we work, externalizing is not safe for us because when you externalize, you're holding something up to be evaluated, right? That's precisely why people want to force you to externalize because they want to evaluate. And one of the things that black folk learn early on is to keep our stuff to ourselves until we are ready to make the case for what we know is about to be a critical evaluation of us. Right. So I handing you my stuff for you to already be arguing with me when I haven't even finished my thing. Right. Yeah. Because people don't take us seriously as thinkers to go Mm -hmm. a work in progress. Right. White boys get that. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many works I've seen early that have gone on to be very significant works, by the way, by white boys that are horrible, frankly, horrible drafts. Yeah. But they've got a major contract. They're going to get the MacArthur. They're going to get investments in them. Mm -hmm. There's a system that's going to turn their horrible draft Mm -hmm. into this amazing product. Mm -hmm. Black folk don't have that leeway. I got to come to you. With everything already done. That's right. For the like 99% sewn up. That's right. Oh, wow. That's right. But see, I think the other thing that happens with that too is that people are like, wait, they were doing all this. They were doing all this work the whole time. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, well, did you even actually do it? Because you're not That's showing right. You're not showing the work That's the way right. in the way that folks understand uh-huh. it. So look. Yep. Um, Listen. And it's a no-win situation for us. Cause if yeah. we show the work, they won't let us finish it. Yeah. We'll never get it done. Yeah. Because they don't invest in us enough. Yeah. But then if we don't show them the hard work, they mm-hmm. discount that it ever happened. And it's one of the reasons why, actually one of the things I argue in the book, why we don't appreciate the intelligences 
multiple forms of intelligence that black women, precisely because of that. It's a catch-22. Yeah. I enjoy reading your your bi-monthly oh, newsletter. And I also have been following your work just for years, just yeah. ever since I'm a nasty piece, or not I'm a nasty piece of cornbread, but the <laughs> essay about a nasty piece of cornbread. Yes. And one of the things that I enjoy most about your writing is that you are very good at incorporating very Southern Black mm. sayings into your yeah. work. So I'm curious, what are your favorite things besides mm-hmm. a nasty piece of cornbread. Oh my or God. Just, I think yeah. you have a really good way of bending words and sentences and phrases that stick in people's heads or stick in their craw and people just kind of are, are moving over and over mm-hmm. and over again. So I'm curious mm-hmm. about like, what are your favorite sayings? Where does mm-hmm. that come from? Oh girl, that's just all my people. Mm-hmm. I come from a colorful, colorful people. My mm-hmm. family has so many of these. I mean, honestly, almost all of those are just stolen direct. And the only reason why I get away with it is because they don't read me enough to know I've stolen it from them. (laughs) But I mean, really, that's just, we are a, you know, rhetorically, we are funny people Mm -hmm. and smart people in this very witty way. Mm -hmm. And we say some of the most amazingly ridiculous things. So like a nasty piece of cornbread is my Aunt Jean, Mm -hmm. right? Things like my great grandfather had all of these and we get together sometimes as a family trying to remember them all. But, you know, he had this one that we say all the time, which, you know, a little bit of powder and a little bit of paint and make an old woman look like what she ain't. <laughs> and this is, this, is, this is my people, okay? Yeah. We come from, I was with my cousin recently, and we were laughing, talking about how so much of what people attribute to us, honest to God, is just coming from, you get a group of us together in a room, mm-hmm. and it's like the dozens meets African-American canonical literature Mm -hmm. meets Paul Lawrence Dunbar meets comedy sketch show. Mm -hmm. And they just come from all these. My mother said to me today, uh, what is a swole mother? Hold up, swole up. Hold up, swole up. Like, what does that even mean? And I'll start with these things. Like, what does that even mean? You know, I I feel my family is much smaller, but I feel like we have some similar things where it's just like, Wait, what are you actually saying? Yes. So one thing that my grandmother used to always say was that somebody was ugly as homemade sin. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I know what that is one. homemade sin? And then I was like, wait, the only thing I was, <laughs> I deducted that it was sex. <laughs> but it's just like, granny, like, how can you say that about somebody? But we, she used to say it around us when we were little, but you just yes. never understand like, and got pot in a window. To, yeah. Yes. Oh, my great grandma had one so stupid couldn't pour piss out of a boot if the instructions were written on the bottom. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, yeah, these amazing things. Yeah. 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 That's so funny. What is like bringing you joy? You said yeah. you're going to Carytown. Yeah, we're going to do all the hokey dokey Christmas stuff, okay. right? We look at the decorations. We're going to have like a special Christmas cocktail eggnog thing. We'll go Fancy. do the outdoor miles. That's why we're so happy the weather clears up today. Mm-hmm. My mother is a professional shopper. Nice. So I got to take her to the, you know, Stony do the things. Yeah. Yeah. I am, um, I'm still decorating the house. That's actually my hobby for the next year. Okay. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm deep. I'm in deep, Taryn. Okay. I'm in deep. I got magazines. I've got a building plan. Like oh, we're doing Lord. a thing. <laughs> this is a hobby. It's like, what are you going to do with yourself? That is so completely, I got to have something that's just completely different. Yeah. Not in the. At all. Yeah. And it is like an escape. It's the one place I can go to like a home store oh. and nobody's having a critical conversation. Cause it's just you mean tile. Like home goods. Yeah. Or both. Oh yeah. It's just tile and pillows, right? Nobody there is having a single critical lens. 
it is my mental vacation. That is so dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, home decorating is super fun and yep. intense and wears you out in a way. It does. That you need sometimes. Yep. Because you can be crafty. Yeah, it's visual. Mm-hmm. And so much of my work is not, is, you know, the almost exact opposite of that. I'm mm-hmm. not a visual person normally. So, yeah, so it's not even using my typical skill sets. Okay. I'm not writing. I'm having to put colors together. That's totally different, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's like my goal, actually. When I'm not on tour for the book this next six months or so I'm actually at home decorating my house what's the what's the vision for your home like what's mm-hmm. the theme what's your palace <laughs> yes. natural tone I the- love the grays which I'm being told is just just so on trend right now and I'm not supposed to want to be on trend but I don't care because mm-hmm. I wanted a, I like a neutral that is not like in that beige family yeah and gray does that for me mm-hmm. um you know what? I have a thing. This is the Southerner in me. I have a thing about how I just want my home to feel as mm-hmm. much as I want it to look. Mm-hmm. Like I want, I love having people over and throw open the doors and people that feel comfortable. It is. <laughs> <laughs> because in my mind, of course, we're standing on a veranda. Oh, right? <laughs> and I want to be able to throw it and have people come in and be yeah. comfortable. And then when it's me, I like to be in a space where, yeah, where I can read and write. And mm-hmm. it feels like that's what I'm doing. Is there so. a particular place where you write or no? Yeah. I mean, I will, when I'm doing the serious writing, which is like on deadline, it's got to get done. Mm-hmm. I have to I sit at my desk or a table. Yes. And I write. Okay. Most of it is quite serious is at my kitchen table okay. more than my desk. My desk, I really mostly write bills at, but the kitchen table is <laughs> like, Mm because I spread out a lot I've got Mm -hmm. tons of stuff and I spread it all out I still use paper like when I need to actually see Mm -hmm. a citation or something I I do tons of printing so I have the paper in front of me um but like reading like my whole thing is I want like 50 reading nooks in my house like I want there to be a corner everywhere where you can sit down with a book this is T and thank you for listening to the creative Make sure that you like us, subscribe, and share on iTunes and Spotify and all over the internet. Our outro music is Call On Me by Aaron Abnett. Peace.